Welcome to another inspirational message from Church on the Rock Pile. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, you can visit us at www.therockchurch.co.za. Well, welcome to Online Church. Well, if you're living outside of South Africa, you may have heard that our state president spoke to us last Sunday and said that we can now meet in groups of a hundred, a hundred. Well, we decided to do that. And so today our church is open and it will be running four services. And I want to just encourage you, if you're ever in our region, please drop by. We'd love to engage with you. Well, now, if you're ready for the word, say it like you mean it. My heart's open, my mind's ready, and I won't be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you can go with me to 1 Kings 17. And it says there, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. (laughs) That's a powerful statement. It's a bold statement. And I like that kind of faith. And I want to talk about that today. You know, I've always been somebody that's constantly asking questions. I've always been inquisitive because I want to know things. I want to understand things. I want to understand how something works. I want to understand how something operates. And if you're going to get me involved in your what, you have to convince me of the why. Because I'm going to ask a lot of questions. In fact, when I was young, I was told that they were going to change my name to why. Because I was always asking why. So I want to know about your why before I'm fully involved in the what you want me to do. I do that with the team, on staff, every day. Why are you doing this? You know, why are you going there? Uh, what were you thinking when you did that? And here's why I love questions. They cause you to evaluate, to assess and to look closely, to gauge what is really going on. And I believe that most people live an unevaluated life. They never ask a question about, why do I continually have bad relationships? Maybe if you would evaluate it, you would find the cause and not repeat it. Why am I constantly in financial struggle? Well, maybe if you would stop and evaluate, ask questions, you would find out why you're in a cycle of financial difficulty. And maybe you'd get out of the cycle. Good questions, I believe, lead to good evaluation. And good evaluation leads to growth. In your relationship, in your work, your marriage, health. Sit down and ask, how are we doing? How's it going? A lot of people say experience is the best teacher. You may have heard that. It sounds good, but let me tell you the honest truth. It's not true. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. If experience was the best teacher, the most mature people would be the oldest people. And often they are not. Are you with me? You can have a lot of experience and continue to experience negativity and dysfunction over and over again in your life. Just because you have experience in something doesn't mean I'm going to listen to you. Is it evaluated experience? Do I see progress? Are you growing? So here is my question. Are you evaluating your faith journey? Did you hear me? Are you evaluating your faith journey? Are you stepping back and going, am I in a better place now than I was last year at this time? Am I growing more and more? 
Because if you don't evaluate your faith journey, you could find yourself in a cycle of dysfunction or disappointment, cycles of, you know, why did this happen to me? And why did that happen over there? And, and why is it five steps forward? And then I'm going step, you know, 10 steps back. So today I want to give you four questions of evaluation from the life of Elijah. And you need to write this down. If you don't write things down, you need to write this down because I'm going to give you uh, these questions, but I'm not going to give you the answer to these questions. I'm just giving the core questions, and you have to decide what the answer is in the area of your own life. My job is to help you grow. So I'm going to help you evaluate, because most Christians know that they are in some form of trouble, but they have not honestly looked at their situation in this way. And so, here are my questions. Question number one is, what do you seek first? What do you seek first? In one kings, the nation of Israel is in moral decay. The Canaanites have come in and they brought in a new state religion, a false god named Baal, and they're all worshipping Baal now. In the middle of all this chaos, Elijah is invited into the king's presence because the king wants to know what God thinks about all this. Ahab, who is king, is ruling Israel. And the foundation of the nation is being destroyed. So Elijah gets a word from God and he goes in and he says in 1 Kings 17, 1 to 11, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Now, how did Elijah have the word from God? Unless he sought God first. And I want you to ask yourself, when chaos hits you, when the foundations are being shaken in your life, or when things are even going well, when things are going good, going in the direction you want it, that you would like it to go in, whatever happens, what do you seek first? Well, how do you know, Pastor, that Elijah sought God first? Well, James 5.17 tells me that he prayed earnestly. In other words, Elijah's first response was to seek God. Not his second after he'd already spoken to his family or his friends or his last response when it was totally critical. No, he sought God first. And I want to know, who do you seek first? Who? Sadly, most people only seek God when it gets to code red. And then they say things like, I've done everything I can do. All that's left now is for me to pray. Maybe the first thing should be, I've prayed now I'll just do what I know to do. Are you with me? Who or what do you seek first? Maybe God allowed moments to come into your life because it pushes you to seek him like you've never sought him before. I'm not saying that he sends any destruction into your life, but I am saying that God can allow that thing into your life so that you will turn to him. I know for myself, if I hadn't walked through the struggles of last year, I would not have the resilience I have this year. Maybe if you hadn't gone through the heartache of last year, you wouldn't have the compassion that you now have this year. You would not have prayed or worshipped the way you did if you had not gone through it. Could it be that the grind you went through was a gift? The pain, the heartache? Because I know that you prayed and that you prayed and you prayed and you didn't see things happen immediately. But I'm telling you, you've developed a prayer muscle like you've never had before. It was a gift. I know that somebody walked out on you. Yes, they walked out on you. But you're still standing. You're still here. It didn't kill you. God wasn't trying to make you bitter. 
He allowed it to make you better, stronger, to give you strength and courage, faith. And that was what's happening. Faith was growing inside of you. And none of it happened on the mountaintop. No. Doesn't happen when everything is stable. And the enemy thought it would destroy you. But God used it to set you up. Because now you're at, at a place where you've never been before. You are better because what the devil meant for evil in your life, God now has turned for your good. So where did you run to in 2020? Was it to a substance? Did you run to another relationship, to more money, to friends that did not have your best interests at heart? I just want you to evaluate. I don't know the answer. Only you know that answer. Question number two. Where do you find your confidence? Where do you find your confidence? I believe people lose confidence in life for many reasons. But here are three. Number one, they try and fail. And then they don't get back up again. They're too scared to try again. Number two, it's the voices around them. The voices around them don't speak life over them. They just bring them down. Or number three, the voices inside of them. Their own self-talk is just negative dialogue. Always letting them know about the loss, the failure, that that happened, that was bad, whatever. Where do you find your confidence? If I had to guess, I would say that for some of you, your faith has become depleted during this last year. You've lost the confidence to step out in faith and have allowed fear to grip your heart. You didn't get the promotion that you expected. You didn't get the tender that you applied for. You asked them out. You plucked up the courage at long last. You asked them out and they said no. So you just stepped back a little and you're lacking the confidence to try again. You tried to start getting your finances in order and live according to God's plan. And then an unexpected expense came and hit you and you thought, why should I even try? Some of you, your friends have been in a place where they, that you've engaged with them, but they pull you down. You know, why are you trying this? Why are you trying that? You will never succeed in that. You'll never amount to anybody if you do that. Listen to me. You don't need friends like that in your life who see your growth as their competition. Did you hear me? You don't need friends who see your growth as their competition. That's something you can tweet. You need people that will push you forward. This is why who you put into your life and allow into your life is so important. And that's why some of you need to start leading a life group. Because others need someone like you in their life that will speak confidence over them. And so in verse 1 of chapter 17, Elijah said to Ahab the king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Man, that's a bold statement. That's a man of confidence. He has confidence in his God. He walked into the king's palace and the king could have had him killed. So how did he have such confidence? It's in the text. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives. The word Lord in the Hebrew text is the word Yahweh. It is a name that God uses to identify himself to Moses. Moses had run away from Egypt because he had murdered somebody. Come on, aren't you glad that God uses all types? But God wanted to use him to lead the people, the nation of Israel, out of bondage. 
So God speaks to him through a burning bush. He gives him instructions and Moses says, who do I tell them? Who do I tell the people sent me? He's saying, I need to come on somebody's behalf because I understand I don't have any strength or power in my own name. And God tells him that I am that I am. That is the English translation of the word Yahweh. It means to be or to exist. This is what God was saying to Moses in that moment. Let them know that I am the God that exists. In other words, of all these other false gods they have that they've seen before them, I am the one that actually exists. I'm the one that actually is alive. I'm the one creating all this, keeping all this, sustaining all this. I am Yahweh. In the word Yahweh, he is highlighting that he is the sovereign God. Nothing happens outside of his control or catches him off God. There's never a moment where God says, Oh, I didn't see that happening. What can I do? No. He is not dependent upon you or me. He is God all by himself. He doesn't need to breathe. He doesn't need water. He doesn't need food. He self-exists all by himself. And so when Elijah went and sought God and received a word from him, he had no problem walking up to the king, up to King Ahab, because he was going on behalf of the sovereign God. He was coming on behalf of the I am that I am God, which means whatever you need him to be, that's what he is. I am healing. I am peace. I am deliverance. I am the rock. I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. I am the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. I am the everlasting counselor. I am the prince of peace. He says, whatever you need, I already am. I've already been there. I've already done it. This is who Elijah came in the name of, the Lord Yahweh God. A nice detail is that the Canaanites served Baal, and they believed that this was the God that controlled the rain. You can't tell me that God hasn't got a sense of humor. And our God said, I'm the God that controls the rain and the dew that comes up from the ground. And I want you to know that I'm going to shut it off for a season and show you that I am the I am. I want you to know you can have that kind of confidence. It all depends on the source. If your confidence is in your bank account, you won't have that. If your confidence is in your job title, you won't have that. If it's in the neighborhood you live in or the car that you drive, the clothes that you wear, the friends that you know, the promotion that you got, the school you got accepted into or the sports team that you play for. If your confidence is in those things, you won't have this kind of confidence because there is a shaking and a rattling that can rattle all of that. But I serve a God that cannot be rattled. He is the rock that I built my life on. He is my firm foundation. So where do you get your confidence from? Where do you get it when they retrench you? When that loved one walks out the door, you have to have a source that is beyond that, where you can say, my God is good. I will not be touched. He has a hedge of protection around me. There is a shield that is over me. That's how Elijah could walk up to the king and say, as confident as I am that the God I serve is alive, I'm that confident that it's going to dry up and not rain. So where do you get your confidence from? Question number three. Are you still with me? We find it in the next few verses of the text. It says in verse two, 
Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. And so what God is saying is, God says, I want you to hide out now. Then in verse 4, he says, You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Question number three. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to go there? The Bible tells us that God gave Elijah specific instructions. I want you to leave here, go eastward, and hide in the ravine. And it's there the ravens will feed you. Can you imagine that first night? He's there. I mean, he's looking like, where are the ravens? What's happening? I mean, I need that bird. I, I need some bread. I need some food. He sat at the brook looking for the bird. Yahweh is my provider. And the bird comes. And the next morning, the bird comes. And the next evening, the bird comes. And the Bible doesn't give us any indication as to how many times or how long he was there. But it does tell us that God met his need. God sustained him and provided for him. But you need to know, Elijah would have starved to death if he had not gone to that ravine. And some of us don't like to obey the word of the Lord because it puts us in a place of solitude and reflection. We want to be noticed and God is wanting to hide us. There are some things in your life that can't be developed unless you get away from the busyness. There's some things that God can't do in you unless he puts you aside. He can't develop in you in the busyness of life. It was Elijah's obedience that positioned him for provision. And some of us are crying out to God for provision. And God is saying, obey the last word that I gave you. But I don't want to go there. But the bread and the meat are there. If Elijah had decided to go north instead and hide out in a different place, he would have starved to death. Because the GPS that God programmed into the bird went to the ravine east of the Jordan. It was there that God met him. So I want to say to you, are you willing to go there? I don't know where there is in your life, but it could look like this. God, please save my marriage. Great. Forgive them. I don't want to go there. God, give me financial breakthrough in my life, please. Start tithing. No, no. I don't want to go there. God, I want a job and, and I want promotion. Honor your boss. Work hard. Show up before anybody else does and give of your best. But, but God, I, I don't want to go there. Hello, somebody. We love the blessings of God, but often we don't want to go where God is calling us. But can I tell you something? The raven is there. The bread and the meat are there. Where is your there? Are you willing to go there? Where is your brook? It was the obedience of Elijah that positioned him for the provision of God. God wants to do more in your life than you are currently experiencing. I bleed it all my heart. He is the God of the suddenly, and he wants to show up in your situation. I'm convinced that God wants to do more in my life than I've currently experienced and am experiencing. But the level of God moving in my life will be determined by my level of obedience 
to what he says. Even if it means I have to hide in the ravine. But God, it's so lonely in the ravine. What do you want? People or God? The provision was there in the ravine. Development happened there. He, he could develop because he went there. Are you willing to go there? And going a quarter of the way, or even three quarters of the way, is not there. Halfway there is not there. The bird wasn't dropping the bread and the meat ten miles away. No. Even one kilometer back. No, it wasn't happening. No, he was dropping it where God told him to drop it. God said, I'm going to send the bird there. If you want what I've got, go there. If you want what God has for you, you have to go there. Let me give you the last one. Number four. Still here? Great. Verse seven says, sometimes later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. He was there so long at the brook that the word he gave Ahab about no rain was now affecting him. Verse 7, sometimes later the book dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow, a widow there to supply you with food. Notice there's another there. So he went to Zarephath. When he got to the town's gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Question number four, the final question is this. Are you willing to change? Tough one, eh? Are you willing to change? Can you change to go where God wants to take you? Some people like to follow the first instruction, but don't want to change from that. They get comfortable at the brook and don't want to go or do something new. So they complain that God isn't moving. But they didn't move. Can you imagine, Elijah? This brook has fed me for so long. Notice the Bible didn't say that the raven stopped coming. No, it said that the brook dried up. It's easy to stay in a place where God wants to move you or when where you are is partially working. I'm getting bread and meat here. Yeah, the brook's dried up, but I'm getting bread and meat. But there's no water. But I'm getting bread and meat. And some of us don't want to progress in our walk with God because God calls us to a greater level of dependency. It's easy to get comfortable when we've been there for a long time. And for some of us, our dreams are dying by a dried up brook because we refuse to change. We refuse to move on to the next thing God has for us in our journey of faith, to go to a greater place in our faith. And God said to him, the brook is dried up. Get up and move. It doesn't say there was still a little stream flowing. No, it dried up. It had done everything it was meant to do. And I've learned God doesn't always supply us in the next season the way he did in the last season. Too often the blessings of God from yesterday will, will become the thing in our lives that keep us from receiving the blessing, the next blessing that God has for us. Because you want to hold on to the brook. God is trying to give you a widow, but you want to hold on to the raven. God's trying to get you something new in the next season to provide you in a new way, to reveal himself to you in a new way.
He wants to show you great and mighty things. Things your eye has not seen, that your ear has not heard. But you have to be willing to leave the brook. And I wonder how many people today are dying there because they are not willing to change. Change may not look like a new job or new surroundings or a new church. I'm not talking about that. This is not an excuse for you now to just run away. Oh, Mark said I can run away. Oh, I'm going to get a new marriage. No, you're not. That's immature thinking. God called you to stay with whom you committed to. The change I'm talking about may be addressing your pride. Changing it to humility. That's the real kind of change that God wants to do. Maybe from self-reliance to God-reliance. Maybe from living for me to living for God. For serving me to serving others. Can you change? It may be that God wants to call you to a higher level of influence. Higher levels of leading. Higher levels of being used by Him to serve others so that they may live. But you must be willing to let go of what was to grab hold of what is. Too many Christians are living in a time of remembrance of when. When God moved in the past. Oh, we're missing the the move of God back then. No, you're missing the now move of God. Church people are the worst at this, right? We don't like change. If you're living wishing for the past, let me tell you, you will miss what is happening right now and what is about to happen in the future. Yes, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for what was. But it's not as good as what is coming. I'm thankful for the foundation God gave us. But it hasn't scratched the surface of what God wants to do in the future. I'm thankful for the miracles of the past. But we haven't yet seen the greatest miracles that we we will yet see. I'm thankful that we planted a campus. But that doesn't scratch the surface of what God wants to do for us in our future as a church. If you keep holding onto the brook, onto your yesterday, you will never grab hold of the widow with the water and the bread. The miracle that God wants to give you now for the next season. Can you change? Can you change? Experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is. So I repeat my question that I started with. Are you evaluating your faith journey? Are you? Your faith will never grow. Your God work will never grow if you don't evaluate it. God has so much more for you. I believe that with all my heart. He wants you to step into everything that he has planned and purposed for you. And so what you need to do is take a Selah moment. You've seen it in the book of Psalms. It says Selah. Selah means pause and breathe a while on purpose. You need to just come to a place where you pause and evaluate where you are at. God has such awesome plans for your life. Let's pray. The greatest question, I believe, some of you need to ask yourself is, what have you done with Jesus? There's no better question. What have you done with the free gift of salvation and the brand new beginning that God has offered you? The gift of sin being forgiven. He offers that to us. What have you done with Jesus? Have you received him? Have you accepted that gift? Or have you pushed him out of your life altogether? You need to know this. Today's your day to draw closer to him. And he says, if you draw near to me, I will draw close to you. He offers you the gift of forgiveness. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible tells us you will be saved. And so if that's you, 
And you said, yes, Mark, I've drifted. God, my heart is far from you. Maybe you're saying, I'm not confident that he's my father. If that is you, then pray this simple prayer with me. And it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. Today I make you my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I want to say fantastic and well done for praying that prayer. God's giving you a fresh start. He's giving you a brand new beginning. And the Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing because of the decision that you've just made. I want to challenge you to get connected. Let somebody know in the chat room, wherever you may be, of this decision that you've made because we'd love to help you on this journey. And so until we meet again, share hope, show kindness, and shine Jesus.